Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Pavey. Good morning, everyone. How are we going? Excellent. You may have noticed some differences in the church today. It looks a bit different now. Lovely lights. Our theme is shine. It's not Shane, for anyone who's confused. Nothing against Shanes. Obviously, we have some wonderful Shanes in the church, but it is definitely shine. Could be any confusion. Well, it's December. Who can believe it? It's December. And December is all about... My birthday, no, sorry, my bad, sorry, my bad. Jesus, yes, Christmas. My birthday is in December, though, so I don't know if it's 21st, in case you're wondering, no, no expectations. If Hayley was in the room, she would say it's about her birthday, because her birthday is on Tuesday, and she's turning 13, so we have two teenagers in the house. Exciting times, I know, I know. But it is Christmas time, and so all your decorations should be up by now, your lights should be up at home. If they're not up by now, you're behind the eight ball. If they're up before December, you went too early, okay? December is the time. December. No, no sooner or later. Excellent. So, yes, we are going to uh, start a new series today called Perspectives of Christmas, uh, looking at different perspectives of that first Christmas story. Um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Amen. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, as we come into your word this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to each person here individually that you would reveal what you have to reveal to them, that you would give them revelation about what they need to hear. Lord, encourage us this morning through your word. Let us be blessed, let us be challenged and motivated to serve you and cause your light to shine in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, my aim this morning is to encourage you. My message is a message of encouragement. I want you to be encouraged this Christmas season. I'm going to start off by giving you some random Christmas carol lyrics. And I want you to tell me if you can tell me which Christmas carol it is. I'm not going to sing it for two reasons. <laughs> one, singing it would give it away, obviously. And Alyssa laughed because the second reason is no one wants to hear me sing. I can assure you of the amen. That's right, amen. If children were here, they would tell you very much the same thing. So I'm going to say these lyrics and we'll see how long it takes you to guess which Christmas carol it is. They looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far and to the earth it gave great light and so it continued both day and night anybody no anybody i'm not going to sing it what was that Noel. my first no the first noel that's right, that's right that's right it is the first noel okay good job jimmy the first noel we're talking about the first noel have you ever asked yourself what noel means the word Noel. We only use it this time of year. We don't use it any other time of year. What does the word Noel actually mean? Well, there's actually a few different answers. Uh, it simply means Christmas. So Noel means Christmas. It also means Christmas carol. You can sing a Noel. So it can mean Christmas, it can mean Christmas carol. But I want to know what, what was the original? What, where did it come from? Where, what's the etymology of Noel? And originally it came from the Latin, which means, the Latin word natal, which means birth. So we get our word nativity. So Noel means birth, and in the original French, the old French, whatever the old French was called, I can't remember what it's called, it actually means news. 
Noel meant new, it meant good news. So the first Noel really means this. It means the good news of birth. The good news of birth. Okay? As we lead up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at different perspectives in this first Noel. The good news of Jesus' birth. So where would you start? Where do you start? Where does the good news really begin? Well, it begins, of course, in the Old Testament. And this morning, I'm going to start our series with a bunch of standard questions. Okay, nothing, nothing crazy. This morning, we'll all be about three. You'll see three come up a lot. We're going, to look, we're going to ask who, we're going to ask where, and we're going to ask what. Okay, three things. Now, we're going to start before Jesus is born, so our who may not be quite as obvious. When you think Christmas, you think Mary and Joseph. You think shepherds, you think angels, you think King Herod. We'll get to him later on, though. But we're studying way before the Christmas morning even happened. And so our who are the prophets. So our who is the prophets. We're starting with the prophets this morning. So you ask the question, who? We say prophets. And there are literally dozens of prophecies about Jesus. Some of them are quite famous. Uh, we know Isaiah 7.14. It says, the child will be born of a virgin. So we know that one. That's quite well known. Numbers 24.17. That's Balaam. Remember Balaam? Balaam and his outstanding donkey that he had. Okay? And he said that the Messiah would come from the family of Jacob way back in Numbers. And Jeremiah speaks of the Messiah in, I think it's 23, 23 of us, who come from the house of David. So they're from quite famous prophecies. And these prophecies, like many, many others, they lead us toward, they guide us down what I'm going to call the prophetic path. The prophetic path that leads to Jesus. There is interwoven throughout all the Old Testament these different strands, words given to prophets that all point to Jesus. They're intertwined by God to lead us to one place. They arrive at the first Noel, the first Christmas, where there is good news for all people. So this prophetic path will take us to Jesus. And this morning we're going to walk on this path just a little bit, because it's a very long path. And there are many, many branches that lead into this path. And we can't spend there too long, otherwise we'll be here all morning and all day. But this path laid out by God, through his prophets, will help us answer the next two questions. So we know who we're talking about. We're talking about prophets and their prophetic words. We're talking about the path that they laid that leads to Jesus. And so the second question will be one that we often overlook, and that is where? Where? Where does the good news of Jesus' birth happen? What's our setting and why is it important? So where does the first Noel happen? Bethlehem, Bethlehem that's right. Thank you, Ungo. Bethlehem. We all know that. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Okay? Bethlehem is our where. And it's not a location that's chosen by accident, in case you weren't sure. It wasn't happenstance that Jesus happened to be born in Bethlehem. God does not leave things to chance. It is part of the path that God has laid out so that all of mankind can find Jesus. So Bethlehem is our backdrop. And our prophet, of course, is Micah 5.2. And Micah 5.2 says this on the screen. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me 
one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. More than 650 years before Jesus is born in a cave surrounded by animals, Micah the prophet tells Bethlehem that they will be honoured by playing host to the Messiah, to the birth of the Messiah. 650 years before it happened. Today, Bethlehem in 2023 has a population of about 25,000 people. So it's not a big place by world standards. It's smaller than my hometown of Wismore. But Bethlehem will be chosen for the emergence of the Messiah, the ruler from ancient days. Now you would think, you would think that such an important person would be born somewhere a little more renowned. I mean, he's the Messiah, he's a world leader. We know that Isaiah 9 tells us that the government will rest upon his shoulders. So surely the Messiah will be born in somewhere like Jerusalem, or Athens, or Rome, or even Alexandria, all important cities of that time, but not Bethlehem. Micah even says Bethlehem, who, are, who is too small to be crowned amongst the clans of Judah. Too small. It's too insignificant. It's too tiny. Nothing happens in Bethlehem. But this is where God has chosen Jesus, his son, to be born. So why Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? If God is placing a path for us to follow and find Jesus, why choose such a small town? Because... Just as the story of the first Noel did not begin when Jesus was born, it begins much, much earlier, so the story of Bethlehem also begins much, much earlier. And I'm going to give you three things about Bethlehem. I told you this morning it was all about threes. Firstly, Bethlehem was a place of death. I do remember that I said I was going to be encouraging this morning, but we need to get the morbid stuff out of the way first, okay? It will be encouraging, just be patient. Bethlehem is a place of death. The first mention of Bethlehem in Scripture is in the time of Jacob and Rachel. Rachel was in labor, and she was traveling from Bethel to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? A young woman, pregnant, traveling to Bethlehem with her husband. We won't dwell there. I just thought that was interesting. And she is giving birth to another son. And so we read this, and she's dying in childbirth. Okay? She's giving birth, but she is dying. And in Genesis 35, so going way back, Genesis 35, 18 to 20, it says this. It says, As her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name, this is her son that she was giving birth to, she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is a pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. So this is an introduction to Bethlehem. This is how it's put on the map in a biblical sense. This is where Rachel was buried after dying in childbirth. We continue. So let's put that away. Bethlehem is a place of death. Not super positive, but we'll move on. We'll get there. It's all going to make sense very shortly. Secondly, Bethlehem is a place of redemption. Bethlehem was the backdrop for a very well-known story in the Bible, a very well-known book in the Bible, and that book is Ruth. 
who knows the story of Ruth? Okay, if you don't know, I'm going to give you a very summarized, succinct version. Okay, there's a woman called Naomi, and she has a husband. And she has two sons, and they're married to two women, Orpah and Ruth. Okay, then Naomi's husband, he dies. It's very sad. And her two sons also die. So it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And so Naomi has to return home. Now one daughter-in-law, Orpah, she returns to her own home, which is Moab. But Ruth, Ruth is loyal to Naomi. She will not leave her sons. She says, don't send me away. You are my family. I will stay with you. And so Ruth and Naomi travel back to Naomi's hometown, which is Bethlehem. Thank you. So they both return to Bethlehem. Now, the issue is, if you're a woman living in that time and you have no husband and no sons and no male relative, life is not too good for you because you have no status in society. You have no power at all. And so all they can do is Naomi sends Ruth into the fields to pick up what the harvesters leave behind. So the harvesters go through picking the grain and whatever they drop or leave behind, Ruth can go and follow and pick up whatever the scraps. And that's how they live. They're picking up scraps to make bread to survive. That is now their life. That is now the life of Naomi and Ruth. But there's hope. There's hope because there could be a male person in Naomi's family who can redeem them, who can take them under his covering and give them back status. And that's exactly what happens. And his name was? Boaz. Boaz, that's right, Boaz. Boaz becomes their, what they call, kinsman redeemer a relative of Naomi who redeems them. And he ends up marrying Ruth and they'll live happily ever after. And the Disney music plays and it's wonderful and someone sings a song, I'm sure. <laughs> Bethlehem is a place of redemption because of Boaz's actions. And lastly, it's going to make sense in a minute, just bear with me, Bethlehem is a place of new life. It's a place of new life. In Matthew 2.1, it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east of Jerusalem. So we know that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. That's not a surprise to anybody. It is where Jesus is born. It's a place of new life. Do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. Excellent. It means house of bread. And Jesus, in John 6.35, calls himself what? The bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never go hungry. So we see that Bethlehem, the house of bread, is where the bread of life breathed his first breath as a baby. In his house, there is nourishment, there is life. So what's my point? What is God revealing to us? We see Bethlehem, death, redemption, new life. Okay? Death, Redemption, new life. That's Bethlehem. Jesus, his death enables us to be redeemed and we receive new life. The where of where Jesus is born is not happenstance. It is a message for us. God is trying to reveal his plan. It's not some cosmic randomness. We have a place that is a place of death and redemption and new life. And we have Jesus, the Son of God, whose death enables us to be redeemed and receive life eternal. This is God's plan. That we would see in the Christmas story his divine hand, 
his providence, his, the path laid out that leads to Jesus. So we understand the significance of the where. A message for us to see his plans and purposes. That a place that has known death also knows redemption. And it should be the perfect place then to herald new life. This is this where of the story is not some forgettable backdrop. It's not to be a place that you oh, it's nice and then you move on. It is to be another sign along the path that leads to Jesus, that leads to God's chosen saviour. But God's prophets are not just concerned with where. They also spoke of the what. So we have the who, we have the where, the what. The, the prophetic path leads us to understand the events we see playing out as Jesus enters the world stage. So let's look at some what's. What is happening? Okay, I'm not going to look at the, the birth and the manger. And I'm going to look at something completely different. Okay? A minute ago we read Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then the Magi came and they're wondering where Jesus is going to be born. Okay? And so Matthew 2, picking up a story in verse 2 to verse 5, it says that this is the Magi speaking. They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. So they knew where he was going to be born. They knew it was Bethlehem. I'm going to stop it there, because you know what comes next. The next verse is Micah 5.2. Matthew records the words of the prophet, Bethlehem. We're going to skip down to verse 13. Okay? So the wise men come, they ask, they're sent to Jesus, and then after the Magi leave, Joseph and Mary receive a dream, warning them. Okay? And it says this in Matthew 2, 13. Now when they had departed, that's the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And lastly, skip down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And all in that region who were two years or under, according to that time, that he ascertained from the wise men. So we have Magi. They travel from the east. They see this star, a miraculous star in the sky that comes out of nowhere. Okay? They come to see Herod. He's the king. He should know what's going on. And they ask, where is the king of the Jews meant to be born? And so what does Herod do? He gets the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, tell me where he's going to be born. And so they go to Bethlehem. They find Jesus and they give him gifts, gold, frankincense, maybe we know the story. And then the wise men return by a different way because God warned them in a dream as well. They don't go back to Herod. They go a different way. And meanwhile, Joseph and Mary are sent to Egypt to keep Jesus safe from Herod because Herod feels threatened by a baby. And so what does he do? He kills all the boys in Bethlehem. Overkill, not? Genocidal maniac, maybe? The question is, what is going on? Like we know the story. But when you see it, it's a little bit over the top, isn't it? I mean, what is going on here? In order to make sense of what is going on, you've got a king who's a genocidal crazy man killing babies. It's just ridiculous. What is going on? 
So in order to make sense, we need to return to the who. We need to go back to our prophets because they're going to explain what's going on. And our first stop is a prophet who you might not consider that much. You're probably not reading that much. It's Obadiah. When's the last time you read the book of Obadiah? Okay, yeah, those little books. Obadiah. And Obadiah 10 says this. Okay, the prophetic path leads us to Obadiah 10. He says this. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. I'm aware that verse doesn't clear up anything for you whatsoever. Like, I get that, okay? But it will in a second. The prophet Obadiah, he's speaking about Jacob and his brother, who was Jacob's brother? Esau, okay, Jacob and Esau, okay? So this whole thing starts back in Genesis 25, a very long time ago. Abraham had a son named Isaac, Isaac married Rebekah, and they had two sons, Esau and Jacob, okay? Now, we shouldn't play favourites with our kids, right? Jane and I certainly do not play favourites with our kids. We do not play favourites with our kids. We do not play favourites. Charlie would say she's a favourite, but that's her, her point of view. She would say that anyway. But we don't play favourites with our kids. The problem is no one told Isaac and Rebecca not to play favourites. Okay? Because Isaac favoured Esau because he was the oldest. And Rebecca, she favoured Jacob. And this caused some issues. Okay? In Genesis 25, Jacob manages to convince Esau to sell his birthright to him. Because Esau's the oldest, he has the birthright. He inherits everything that comes from Isaac. But one day Esau is really hungry. I mean like really hungry. And Jacob makes this stew, and he says, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. And for some reason, Esau's like, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Uh, like, what's the, what's the moral here? Do not make important decisions when you're hungry. Okay? <laughs> it's like you don't go shopping when you're hungry, do you? Just like that, don't do it. Okay? Esau sells his birthright. And then in Genesis 27, Rebekah and Jacob, they scheme. They conspire to steal Isaac's blessing for Esau. And they actually dress up Jacob as Esau and trick Isaac. And so from this, there is a dispute. There is a dispute between Jacob and Esau. They don't get along, okay? And have this long-lasting feud. Now, do Jacob and Esau reconcile? Yes. In Genesis 33, there is a reconciliation. So, so all is good, right? It's done, done and dusted. Everything's hunky-dory now, right? No, not at all. Because here in Obadiah, the prophet's warning the descendants of Esau, who are called the Edomites, so the descendants of Esau are being warned because of their violence towards Jacob, they're going to be cut off. So what happens? I mean, Jacob was the one who did the dirty work earlier. What did, what, what did, what did Esau do? What did the Edomites do? Even though Jacob and Esau reconciled, there was still an ongoing feud between the Edomites and the Israelites. I think the story of what happened to Esau through Jacob was passed down from generation through the Edomites. And they grew bitter towards Israel. And in 586 BC, Babylon came and ransacked Jerusalem. They came, the Babylonians came in and they took the Israelites away and put them in, they became slaves and exiled them. And when this happened, what did the Edomites do? What did they do? Nothing. They didn't help. 
They did not provide refuge to the Israelites. They did nothing. In some accounts, it even says that they went so far as to help plunder Jerusalem. They came and took things for themselves. Psalm 137 tells us the Edomites cheered as Jerusalem was laid to waste. They cheered. The prophet Ezekiel speaks of Edom acting vengefully towards the Israelites. And so there's this ongoing battle, this ongoing feud. So why is this important at Christmas time? Because ancient animosity is revealed at the first Noel. The Christmas story reveals ancient animosity. This ongoing feud between Jacob and Esau. Every aspect of the Christmas story is part of God's woven plan. The culmination of what has been going on and spoken about for centuries between these two clans. The dispute is playing out right in front of our eyes. You see, Jesus, we know his, we know his lineage. We know where Jesus came from. We know he came from Jacob and he came from David. We know his line. We know his ancestry. No DNA kit needed for Jesus. But King Herod, he was from Idumea. And as an Idumean, he was from the clan of Edom. Herod was an Edomite. Jesus is descendant of Jacob. King Herod was descendant of Esau. The feud continues. The first Noel, complete with a genocidal murderous king hunting children, is simply playing out an ancient dispute that had been going on since Genesis. Another strand woven in this prophetic path that leads inevitably to the good news of Jesus' birth and how his birth changed the world. Our second stop is Jeremiah. So we have and we have Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31.15. It says this on the screen. It says this, Jeremiah 31.15. It says this. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. You've seen Rachel before. She died in childbirth. And the prophet Jeremiah speaks of Rachel crying out in Ramah, which is near the place that she died, which was Bethlehem, weeping for her lost children. This passage, this prophetic word is quoted by Matthew in Matthew 2, verse 18. As Herod gives the order to kill all the, all the male children two and under, this prophecy is quoted. Jeremiah prophesies 600 years before Herod was born. And here we have a mother crying for lost children who had died. Even the actions of those who opposed the Messiah, God knew. God foretold. Those who would seek to eliminate Jesus, to stop him from becoming who he needed to be, even their futile plans do not escape God. Herod's schemes to move the threat of baby Jesus, but his plans come to nothing. The plans of God's enemies cannot succeed because he already knows. He's written them in his word for us to find and to see. Every strand is woven together. Nothing escapes God's gaze. Even the enemy's plans, God will bring to nothing. And the last prophet is Hosea. And Hosea 11.1 says this. It says, When I was a child, I loved him, 
and out of Egypt I called my son. So just like God knew the plans of Herod, these evil plans to try and eliminate Jesus, God also knew that he would send Joseph and Mary into Egypt for safety. Hosea tells us that the Son of God would come out of Egypt. Hosea prophesied in the 8th century BC. He, in the 8th century BC, he prophesied that Jesus would come from Egypt, despite not being born there, despite logically having no reason to go there that you would proceed. 800 years before it happened, Hosea said Jesus would come out of Egypt. We have people come into our church with prophetic gifts. We've heard Baleen, he's been here, and Skip was here. Okay, we've heard Les Dower before. And Jane and I were given prophetic word once that I would get a new car. The new car was coming. And within a matter of months, I was in a car accident. On the record, it was not my fault. I'm just saying out there, I had nothing. It was not my fault. Someone came through a green light and hit me. It wasn't my fault. Okay? So they came through a red light. I was on a green light. Yeah, see, maybe, maybe fix it up. It wasn't my fault, okay, I'm just saying. It wasn't my fault. They came through a red light. I was going through a green light. Anyway. anyway, I'm sure the prophet at the time didn't expect me to get a new car because my old car got destroyed. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't part of the plan, okay? For some reason, God didn't like my green car. I don't know why. Didn't like my green car. But I got a new car months later. Here we have a prophecy that was given... 800 years, 800 years later, it comes true. There is no foreseeable reason why Jesus, the Messiah, would come from Egypt, having been born in Bethlehem. If you look at the prophecies, you, you would see, oh, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. And then it says he's come from Egypt. I don't know, that doesn't make any sense to me. How has that even happened? 800 years earlier. But we see God's hand at work. He's been leading us to this point. God used his prophets to clear the path leading to Jesus, who was the Christ, the Messiah. And nothing, nothing was going to disrupt God's plans. Nothing at all. So what do we take away? What's our takeaway from all we've learned this morning? What does it mean, us living in the 21st century in 2023, heading into another Christmas season? The danger is, is that we head into Christmas just like every other Christmas. We head into a very busy time of the year when heaps of things are on and we don't take time to understand what God has done, what God has knitted together in order to bring Jesus at the right time in the right place. Because the truth is we're all at risk of tr not truly recognising the significance of what happened at that first Christmas. How do we know that's true? Because of the first Christmas, the Magi came, yes? They came from a distant country following a miraculous star. Okay? More than three of them. It says, I know it says three wise men, but we know it was more. They had a whole convoy come because we know because the whole of Jerusalem was disturbed by their presence. Okay? So they all came following this star and they come and they see Herod and say, we followed this miraculous star. They brought all these people who've come to see the king of the Jews. Where do we find him? And so what does Herod do? He assembles the chief priests and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, Jewish scholars who have been studying the, studying the scriptures their whole life. And they tell him where the Messiah is going to be born because they know 
They know Micah 5 too. They know it's Bethlehem. So they come looking for this star, looking for this new king. And they go and find him. And the Magi give their gifts. But who didn't go and see the Messiah born in Bethlehem? The chief priests. The Jewish leaders. Why didn't they go? They've been waiting 400 years. Of, there's been 400 years of silence. And God has said nothing. No prophetic words, nothing. And all of a sudden these foreigners come in following a miraculous star saying, where's the king of the Jews? Where is he? They say, oh, he's in Bethlehem. Thanks for that. Off we go. But why didn't the Jewish leaders go with them? They've been waiting for hundreds of years for this to happen. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come. Why didn't they go and see the Messiah? It doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't they go? I don't know. I don't know why they didn't go. Maybe they had grown complacent. Maybe they no longer believed the Messiah was truly coming. Maybe they had relegated the Messiah to a fairy tale or a bedtime story. Maybe they had become too comfortable with their lifestyle. They had power. They had status in society. Maybe that was enough for them. They don't want to disturb that by hunting down the Messiah. He might change everything. We can't have that. If these Jewish leaders can stop looking for their saviour, then maybe we're in danger too of not seeing the significance of the Christmas story. It is more imperative than ever for us to find what the good news of Jesus' birth means to us. We have to stop and reflect. So there's three things I want to take away, three quick things before we finish. The first, Noel, for us. What does it mean for us today? The first thing is this. Christmas shows that God's plan was always Jesus. God's plan was always Jesus. We see that in Matthew 2, 4-5. The plan was always Jesus. The prophets reveal to us that God's plans always prevail. Nothing slips past him. Nothing surprises him. Everything works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Everything works for good. Jesus, God has knitted everything together to bring about Jesus at the right time in the right place. Everything. The plan was always Jesus. Secondly, Christmas reminds us that Jesus gives life. He is the life giver. He is the one who gives us eternal life. Nowhere else will we find life. He made Bethlehem a place of life, a place of new birth, and he can do the same for anybody here. To take that which is in your life that is barren. Maybe things are dead and buried in your life. Maybe you feel like you hit a dead end. The Christmas story tells us that he can redeem you, redeem parts of your life, and he can bring them new life. New life. And lastly, Christmas shows us that Jesus can turn our sorrow into joy. Remember the part about Rachel? When she died in childbirth, before she died, she called her son Ben-Oni. Do you know what Ben-Oni means? It means son of my sorrow. But then Jacob, Jacob changed his name to Benjamin. Do you know what Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. Even this points to Jesus. 
Isaiah 53 calls Jesus what? A man of sorrows. And in Psalm 110, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Even then, God was pointing to Jesus. He can take your sorrow and turn it into joy. Why? Because Jesus knows pain. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Our Saviour can take your sorrow, your pain, and turn it for good, turn it for joy. I ask you just to all the time this morning. Jesus is the only one at the end of the path. He's the only one. The path is always going to lead to Jesus, the one who gives us life eternal. And he is the one who can take your sorrow and turn it into joy. The prophets point to the birth of Jesus, and it's in this first Noel, the first Christmas that we can find our Saviour and declare the good news that Jesus has come to save all who would believe. I ask you to stand this morning if you would. I don't think we can afford to go through another Christmas just going through the motions. Just doing what you always do. Because Christmas is more than the Christmas parties and going to the shops and buying presents and decorating the house and eating too much food and then regretting it. It's more than that. Christmas is about finding Jesus, finding our Saviour, remembering that God knits everything together. What's going on in your life heading into Christmas? Ask a question this morning. Who finds Christmas sometimes a little bit overwhelming? Who finds Christmas overwhelming, sometimes a bit stressful? I put my hand up. I went to four Christmas functions this week. Four in seven days. Like, you think, ah, tough life for you. But I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Like, yeah, I don't even like people. Like, yeah. Okay? Okay? Christmas is stressful, yes? I've got to take my kids shopping before Christmas. That's four kids in a shopping centre, you know? Yeah. But Christmas can be overwhelming. It can be exhausting. And in that exhaustion, in that stress, in that busyness, we forget about Jesus. And Christmas has always been about Jesus. The plan was always Jesus. And God wants you to head into this season, I believe, keeping your eyes fixed on him and finding the joy in Christmas and not forgetting that he has woven everything together, that his plans always prevail. He can turn everything to good, even the stuff in your life that's not going so well now. Christmas is a reminder that God is for us. He sent his son Jesus to give us life. Amen. I'm going to pray this morning. First, we're going to pray for those who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here or watching at home and you've never given your life to Jesus. I hope I've shown you this morning that God doesn't do things by accident or happenstance. All these prophecies were given hundreds of years before and they all came true. That shows us God's providence, that God is real. And if you this morning have never given your life to Jesus, today is the best day. If you're watching at home, you've never given your life to Jesus, we can do this. We're going to pray for you this morning right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody here 
anybody who has not given their life to you. I pray, Lord, that they would see that you are real, that you love them, that you care for them. And I pray that they would know it's very simple. It's very, all they need to do is say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Say, I've lived my life separate from you. Forgive me for my sin. I choose to believe that Jesus is my saviour and I give my life to him now. I choose to live my life for Jesus. Come into my life and make me whole. It's as simple as that, Lord. That's all I need to do. And if that's you this morning, we're watching home, I encourage you to contact us. Come reach out to us. We want a journey with you. But for the rest of us, facing the busyness of Christmas, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, I pray for everybody here. Everybody who raised their hand before and said, yep, I find Christmas exhausting. I find Christmas challenging. It's tough. For those who this Christmas can't be with the ones they love for whatever reason, or will be the first Christmas without people they've always had Christmas with. For them, Christmas is tough. Lord, I pray you would help us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to know in our hearts that you worked together all things for good for those that love you and called according to your purpose. For those of us who obey your commandments and follow you, you can turn our sorrow into joy. You can turn all things around, just like we saw in the first Christmas, just like the prophets foretold, all those different strands converging together in Bethlehem when Jesus breathed his first breath. Your plan came to fruition. Let us know that in our own lives, if we keep our eyes on you, you will work things together for good and your plans never fail. You are faithful and you are good. You are faithful and you are good. With every eye closed and every every head bowed and every eye closed right now, we declare this morning, we declare that we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. As we head into a new Christmas season, we're going to be encouraged and walk out of this place knowing that you did an amazing thing, knitting together the story of Christmas from long ago, ancient days until modern times. You have called us. You have set us on the path to find Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you are doing. Let us be encouraged. Let us be of good cheer and let us be people of joy. Amen, amen, amen. Be encouraged, church. Be encouraged this Christmas. Shine, shine the light of Jesus wherever you go because people will struggle and they need us to shine for them. Let us be encouraged. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.